Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, the different styles of wine, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we continue our focus on spirits by looking at gin, one of the great spirits for cocktails. Gin is not a spirit that I choose to drink on its own, but it's one that I often use for cocktails, and some of the great cocktails, like uh, martinis and negronis, are gin based. And gin has a long history which is particularly associated with the United Kingdom which really shaped uh, the way that gin is made and the way that it is consumed as well. So gin actually originates from the Netherlands and during the 1600s uh, the Dutch drank lots of what they call Geneva, which is a juniper-based spirit, which is much more like uh, whiskey than it is like gin, um, uses malt. It's a very different style. And in the 1600s, the English and the Dutch were um, allies and often fought together against the Spanish, and they would have a shot before going out to fight, and that's where the phrase Dutch courage comes from. In 1689, William of Orange became King of England, and he immediately imposed a ban on all French products, and this of course included cognac and French brandy. And the English, without having their brandy, needed another spirit to drink. And William of Orange, from the Netherlands, encouraged the distillation of what is now called gin, so that juniper-based spirit. And it became a craze. The gin craze swept London in the um, 1700s to the point where it was a, a dangerous addiction. And William Hogarth's print, Gin Lane, is very famous for depicting the debauchery and decadence and death and disease associated with overconsumption of gin in comparison to beer, beer street where everyone is happy and working and is having a good life. So the taxes were imposed on gin to try and uh, moderate the uh, production and consumption of gin. And, but eventually gin craze did die out, more due to fashion than anything, and things came um, began to get back to normal. In the early 1800s, the production of gin changed because of the um, invention of the continuous still, or the column still, and that produced a much drier style of gin than you would find in the Netherlands. And that's the basis of what gin is today. So London dry gin originated in London, and though that can apply to, that can be made anywhere in the world, that style of gin comes from London. And it became extremely popular in the 1830s onwards, especially in the gin palaces, which um, uh, were built in London, these really opulent grand bars with uh, lots of glass and mirrors and um, well lit. And these were great places to go. Charles Dickens uh, wrote about them, and gin became fashionable again. And then the other great um, step for gin in the 19th century came from India, where um, the British presence there was obviously quite heavy, and the British were susceptible to malaria, which was a great problem there, and the way to cure or to prevent malaria is to have quinine, which is the bark from the tree, which is uh, pretty unpalatable on its own, it's so dry and so bitter. It was made into tonic water, and mixing that with gin became the gin and tonic, and that was uh, used as a preventative for malaria, but also became, of course, one of the signature cocktails uh, back in the UK. During the 19th century, gin was kind of a, a constant in people's drinks cabinet, but it was quite, seen as quite boring and quite conservative until the 19, late 1980s when Bombay Sapphire re, relaunched their brand. It's actually a brand that goes way back to the 19th century. Um, but they lo- relaunched it and connected it with the British Empire, with Queen Victoria on the 
on the label and Bombay Sapphire relating to one of the crown jewels. And they made a big play on the botanicals they were using. Most gin producers up until that point kept a very close secret on the botanicals that they used, but Bombay Sapphire advertised them, and that was a great way of saying this is what our product is, and this is why it's high quality. And it was great packaging, packaging as well with that distinctive blue bottle. And although Bombay Sapphire may seem quite middle of the road these days, it really is the basis of the revolution in gin production and gin consumption. And now gin is extremely fashionable, lots of craft distilleries in the UK, in the US, and also across the world, making really high quality gin of all different styles. Because gin is a very varied drink, and no other spirit quite reflects the ingredients like gin does. Because gin is basically a vodka um, flavoured with lots of different botanicals. So gin always comes from a highly rectified spirit, so a spirit that's been rectified to the level of 95-96% alcohol. And it's usually made uh, from grain, because grain gives a crisper feel, and certainly the premium spirits are always going to be made from some kind of grain. Molasses can be used as well. These will give a softer feel to the gin, and that would be for a lower quality gin. The predominant flavour must be juniper, so it must be present. Without juniper, it is not gin, it is simply flavoured vodka. And these juniper berries are sourced from either Italy or the Balkan states. And what juniper has is a pine-like note, so you often get pine aromas with gin. And that comes from the, the juniper itself, uh, very dry and bitter. Also you get heather and lavender aromas from juniper. And, that, and it's juniper that gives gin its distinctive aromas. Coriander seed is also very important, and that will always be there for premium gin. And coriander seeds are very different from the coriander that you get in a supermarket, the leaves. These are actually the seeds. And these will give spicy notes. And it depends where the coriander seeds come from. Moroccan coriander gives peppery aromas. Eastern Europe and Russia gives spicy citrus floral aromas. Then Indian coriander seed is more citrus, so it really depends where that coriander seed is coming from, a vital ingredient to gin. Then there's angelica root, something more unusual, very old and traditional, and this gives the musky, earthy, dry and woody aromas to the gin, and it balances the perfume of other botanicals, because it's more earthy and musky rather than kind of floral and spicy. Orris root has the ability to hold in other more volatile aromatics, and this is scented and earthy as well with palmer violets, violet roots, and leaves. Dried citrus peels are very important as well. Sweet oranges uh, used often in Plymouth is used in Plymouth gin, and Plymouth gin is a distinctive style of gin, historic. Plymouth is a big navy town, and so when the navy had they had lots of gin on board, and gin was for the officers, rum was for the sailors, and that's one of the things that gave, gave gin its kind of uh, appeal to um, the wealthier people in the UK. And Plymouth gin is its own designation, so Plymouth gin can only come from Plymouth. Now there's only one distillery in Plymouth, but in the 19th century there were, there were seven. And that is a little sweeter, a little richer than London dry gin. Um, other oranges, Seville oranges, give an intense bitter edge to Beefeater gin, for example. And citrus is the first aroma released during the distillation, so that will fall into the uh, redistilled spirit first. And so, if you want a heavily citrus um, type of gin, then you will have lots of heads in the um, gin. If you don't want too much citrus, then you will cut those heads out more. And those uh, citrus peels link well with coriander, They're the coriander seeds, giving the complexity. And of course, coriander seeds have those citrus aromas naturally.
Others that can be used, angelica seed, uh, dry hop flowers, uh, cinnamon and cassia bark, they give a sweet tropical note. Almond can be used as well, they give marzipan, and they can be sweet or bitter almonds. Uh, licorice root gives spicy and sweet aromas and softens the hard edge of juniper. There's also nutmeg, caraway seeds, with cardamom. And of course, with all the craft distilleries, they will experiment quite a great deal and use lots and lots of different botanicals and have different lines of gin because of, because of that. So that distillation will take place in a pot still for the redistillation. Uh, copper is used, and that really helps the, uh, the, dis the infusion of those flavours. And that spirit has been diluted to 60%, and then it's heated to, in the presence of the botanicals and rich flavour, rich vapours, to 79 to 80% alcohol. And then, of course, it will be watered down, depending on the level of alcohol that the producer wants to release the um, spirit at. And, of course, the shape and size of the still will shape the flavour, so different distillers will use different shapes and sizes of still, of pot still. And, of course, each um, distiller or distillery will have their own recipe. Uh, the big brands will have their highly kept secret recipes, which they've been making for decades. All those botanicals will, of course, be distilled together, combining the compounds, and even a small variation on a recipe will have a huge impact. So those distillers really have to be careful to be consistent, especially for those uh, brands that consumers recognise. You can't have different flavours, different aromas. And if the botanicals were distilled separately, it would give a different end product. Gin is all about the combination of those flavours rather than the separation of them. With those botanicals in the still, some start, some producers start the distillation almost immediately, Gordon's and Tanqueray. Others let the botanicals macerate for 24 hours. And there is another type of still called Carterhead still, which um, I think Bombay Sapphire used. And botanicals here are suspended in a basket in the neck, or between the neck and the condenser, and that produces a lighter style of gin. So the vapours are passing through the neck and they come into contact with the botanicals there and then the vapours fall down, rather than botanicals being naturally in the spirit. So as I mentioned, the cut points are very important as well. So it's not just the recipe, it's also when you cut the, um, the spirit, because the aromas from the botanicals come off at different points. So the first ones are the citrus, the lemon and orange peels, then the juniper, then the coriander, and then at the end, orris and angelica root. And so if you really wait till the end and have a very late cut, it'll be a very earthy and rooty style of gin. Gin is generally um, unaged, kept in inert vessels, so gin is usually a, a white, a water-white colour. Uh, batches will be blended for consistency, and then it's diluted to 40%. But that's not the only way to get flavours into gin. Less expensive gins get their flavour from nature identical flavourings, so as with flavoured vodka, so identical to nature but not actually the natural product, so that's going to be for the less expensive stuff. Some botanicals don't actually work in a still, so cucumber might get damaged, so they're added afterwards. And maybe if you want an aroma to stand out, you can add that afterwards as well, like with the cucumbers and roses for Hendrix, but they can only be called... Um, gin, they cannot be called London dry gin. Uh, then there are fruit gins as well, like slow gin, that's probably the most uh, well known. So adding the fresh fruits to the gin to make it fruity. Or you can add a fresh fruit essence as well. So sloes is the most famous one, but damsons and citrus can also be used as well. So just to kind of um, confirm those legal terms, so gin uh, in general is made using a 96% ABV rectified spirit with natural or nature identical flavourings with a predominant taste of juniper. And it has to be 37.5%, but gin is usually going to be 40%, as I mentioned. Then you have distilled gin, which is redistilling a 96% highly rectified spirit with juniper berries and other natural botanicals. 
but natural or nature-identical flavourings can be added afterwards. Again, it must predominantly taste of juniper. And then there's London Dry Gin, and here the no flavourings can be added afterwards, but it's not geographically specific. Maybe London distilleries missed the boat there by not trademarking London Dry Gin as their own. So that's gin, one of the most famous spirits in the world. Let's have a quick look at Geneva, or Geneva as it's often called in English, which is the basis and the inspiration of gin, made in the Netherlands for centuries, and that's what um, the English started drinking with the Dutch in the 1600s, and then um, was transferred to England, where it became gin with that very dry style. Geneva is very difficult, different from uh, gin because it's much maltier. It's like a cross between gin and whiskey. But the big connection is that it's a juniper-flavoured spirit. It can only be made in Belgium, the Netherlands, and in the north of France. It has a geographical indication that gin does not have. There is quite a long history of it being made in the States as well, but to be called Geneva or Geneva, it has to originate from um, that part of Europe. The base of Geneva is Mutvin which is a low-strength grain spirit, and the amount of the mutafine in the Yeneva has an impact on the aroma and the texture. Um, the more mutafine there is, then the richer it is, and it will diminish the aromatic impact of uh, the juniper. And so there are different styles of Yeneva made. Younger Yeneva is made using no more than 15% mutafine, so it won't have as much of that multi-grainy um, texture because of the lower amount of mutafine, and this will be colourless. And though it's called young in Geneva, that doesn't necessarily mean it's young, it just means it has no colour, and it's all about the um, water-white colour, and there will be quite a strong juniper flavour. And this will be sweetened to a maximum of 15 grams per litre of residual sugar. And then there's Uda Yeneva, which is made with at least 15% mutafine. So this is going to have a much stronger, maltier character to it, and be much more like whiskey. This may well have some colour um, coming from oak, and that colour can be adjusted with caramel. So this is a type of spirit which has been aged, and this can be sweetened to a maximum of 20 grams per litre of residual sugar. And so that's going to be maltier, more complex, much more like a whiskey. And then there is another style called Gran Yeneva, which is a highly rectified spirit made exclusively from grain. So a much more neutral style of spirit compared to the other styles of Yeneva. So those are quite hard to find, but if you visit Belgium or the Netherlands, you will see them in bars. So that's the history of these great juniper-flavoured spirits, gin and Yeneva as well, its um, originator. Thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.